Well, how many people notice that there's some kids in here with us today? Did anybody notice that? Or did it just totally like not even notice at all? Because they are so well behaved, usually better behaved than their parents, um, certainly than their grandparents, that's for sure. No, we are so glad to have the kids here with us today. Um, it's important that we have these family worship times because we want our children to grow up seeing other adults worship the Lord together in this environment. We want to let families leave here talking about similar things. And we realize that that Sunday morning, it's going to look a little bit different for all of us. And we believe that that is all worth it. A, a few little squeaks and noises is all part of the kingdom of God, right? And so we are glad to have the kids here with us. And today, uh, being uh, Labor Day makes it even, this weekend, Labor Day weekend, makes it even kind of a stranger day um, sometimes. And so I just thought that we were going to have a little bit of fun today. And um, uh, one, we tried to get everybody down here together because we're going to be a little interactive today. And I on the, like the personality charts, I lean towards introvert as opposed to extrovert, just leaning that way. And I know some of you are like that. And usually uh, we do things for the introverts. But today we're going to give a little love to the extroverts, okay? Uh, and, and those of us who are introverts are going to just kind of cautiously go along with it and make sure it's okay. Um, just don't talk to us, okay? Um, <laughs> No, we're, we're gonna, we all sacrifice for each other, right? Sometimes the extra, extroverts sacrifice for the introverts, and sometimes the introverts care for the extroverts. So we're going to do this. Nothing is going to be very scary. Uh, but we actually thought we could get everybody down here on the ground floor, and then we've had so many people come today. We have some people up in the balcony. So balcony people, hey, glad to have you. The balcony people, I just need you to do one thing. I need you to kind of cluster up a little bit so you can kind of be near each other. Um, and, uh, and that'll be great. So thank you all for being here. And um, if you don't have a bulletin, if, if like one per family, if, if a family doesn't have one, um, Matt's over here, and I think we may have a few other people walking around, just uh, raise your hand and, and they'll hand you one of these bulletins because we're going to kind of follow along. It's going to be a little interactive today uh, as we ask the last tough question in our series. So one day I was eating a burrito with a friend. And I can't remember if we were at like Chipotle or Cadoba or one of those kind of places, but here's how it goes when I go to one of those places. You order the burrito when they, and you tell them like, I want some of that. And they're like, do you want this? Yes. Do you want this? Yes. Do you want this on it? Yes. I just say yes to everything. And it gets to the end of the line and then they hand it to me and it's like, <laughs> like, how is this thing going to even fit in my body? You know, they give you one of those giant burritos. And so that's step one is you almost drop it. Step two is you take one bite and it completely falls apart onto your plate. And then step three is you go get a plastic fork and you try to cut it and your fork breaks. Does anybody else have this problem? That's the exact same thing every time I eat there. And so um, I was going through this uh, routine uh, with my friend and we began talking and, this, and the conversation got kind of serious. And he said, yeah, I... I just can't go along with the Bible because there's so many inconsistencies and I just can't trust it. And so it's one of those moments of like, okay, what do I say? Do I just need to listen for a little while? And I don't want to be defensive. I don't want to be combative, but I want to listen for a little while. But then I want to be able to ask some questions and be able to have some conversation and be able to say, well, I actually don't agree with you. I love you, but I don't really agree with you. Can we talk about it some? And I am sure that all of you have had a similar conversation with somebody, 
And maybe you were the person saying that at some point. And maybe even here today, you're a little iffy on whether you can trust the Bible. And we're glad you're here. Uh, We want to walk through some things together because this is a tough question. And so for your friends or for you, if you're skeptical and you're not sure you trust the Bible, man, you need to really lean in and listen to this. And and for those of us who are like, well, I, I trust the Bible, we need some reminders, don't we, so that we're ready to talk to friends and we're reminded ourselves because ultimately what I want this sermon to do is not to be about like a history lesson. I want it just to leave us being like, man, God is good. He really is good that he gave us this. So on, on your sermon page in here, we're going to have you kind of fill in the blanks a little bit as we go along. Um, basically, we've got here six reasons that we can trust the Bible. But before I start telling you what they are, uh, I want to just here. Here's the part where we interact with each other just a little bit. Uh, if you can, uh, I'm just going to give you 30 seconds. Turn around to the, the, the three, four, five people closest to you and just make sure you, you know their name. OK, and and like listen to their name enough that it like sinks in. OK, make sure you know everybody's name right around you. Go. Okay, okay. Now, now what I want you to do is um, I want you to turn around to your group, and I would love it if maybe one person in your group could just say, here's one reason why I trust the Bible. And I imagine the conversation would be a little quieter now, but if maybe somebody in your group just knows right off the bat, here's the one thing that always I think about. Here's one reason I trust the Bible. I'm going to give you another, like, 30 seconds. If anybody in your group wants to share that, go ahead. Okay, here's reason number one I want to share with you, and I encourage you to kind of fill in the blanks as we go. Reason number one I trust the Bible is because the early church recognized our Bible as the Scripture. That's really, really important. And so let's do just a a, a quick little lesson here in history and kind of time because they get confused in my mind. Uh, We've got a slide for this. uh, uh, If we can pull that up there, Nathan. Um, The gospel events happened, they began happening in around 7 BC. Actually, Jesus probably wasn't born in 0 BC, probably a few years earlier than that. So 7 BC would be safe. But we had the gospel events happening. In other words, Jesus was born, he lived, the early church was formed. We read about Paul um, and, the, and all of the things that were happening. And so around 7 BC, at no earlier than that, all of that stuff began happening into the first one-third uh, or so, around 30-ish AD. And then the early the church was planted, and these missionary journeys went out, and that would extend into that first century. And so by around 100 A.D., okay, 100, all of the New Testament was written. 
Okay? So you had all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, and his letters. It was all kind of done. All of that happened in about a 100-year span. There was a lot of stuff that happened, right? All of those things. And then what happened at about 100 AD, it started happening a little earlier and then kind of kept going beyond that. Um, But the early church, and there were all these different churches, right, in different cities uh, as the gospel spread, the church recognized uh, that these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these letters from Paul and uh, James and, and all of these books that make up our New Testament, they were recognizing okay, these aren't just any kind of a letter. These are actually from God. And that should not surprise us because all the way back in Exodus 20, God made a covenant with his people. And did he write something and give it to them? Yeah, two big things, right? Two big tablets, the Ten Commandments. And so uh, as the Old Testament reads on these people that was their Bible, their scripture, and they knew that a Messiah was coming and a new covenant. And so they would have been been expecting with this new covenant is probably going to come something else written for us. And sure enough, they began receiving Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians. And as different churches would be receiving these letters at different times, uh, they were looking at them being like, okay, this isn't just from Paul. This is from God. And different churches were all doing the same thing in different places. And the writers themselves realized that these were from God. And I'm not sure exactly how all of that worked, but it was God inspiring, like John, to write the Gospel of John. So it was, it was John's writing, but it was God working through him. As we read Luke, you know, God inspired Luke to write the Gospel of Luke. You know, Luke was a doctor. And if you read that book, he still puts his own perspective on it. He includes some medical stuff in the book of Luke that the others don't include. Why? Well, he's a doctor, but God was still inspiring him working through this. And so you had all these churches that were receiving these letters and copying them and passing them on to other churches. But the the churches were all saying, yeah, we recognize it. These are from God. This is scripture. And so then you had these kind of big official kind of councils is what they were called. Uh, kind of like big conventions or something uh, where important decisions were made. And, and they happened in the very late 300s. So by 400 AD, you had several different councils in different places all saying, okay, the, these 27 make up the New Testament. These are the words of God. And it happened in a couple of different councils. So here's why this is really important. Here's what did not happen and what is often portrayed in movies and in books today is what, what sometimes is portrayed, if you saw the Da Vinci Code, is like there was kind of like this little conspiracy. Nobody believed anything. Nobody really thought it was the Bible. And then in the late 300s, some like, like a, a secret organization got together and they were like, okay, we're going to force these books into the Bible and call them the Bible. And when they did that, it like changed everything. That is not what happened at all. It would almost be like if our church called a conference and said, we believe that communion is a sacrament that we want to practice every week. Would you be surprised? You'd be like, duh, we already knew that. And when the council said these 27 books make up the New Testament, people were like, yeah, we already knew that. 
That's why the council was able to make that decision because it was, wi- it was widely accepted. By 100% of people, no, but most people and most early churches believe that. And I've got some evidence to back that up. There was a guy with a great name named Polycarp, okay? If I have another son, that's his name. Polycarp, okay? <laughs> Polycarp, how cool is this? He knew the Apostle John, okay? That's pretty cool. He knew the Apostle John, and, and then he wrote, he was an, an early church leader, and he, he acknowledged Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the four gospels from God. We read that in his writing. He, he cites Paul's letters as scripture. And then there was this guy named Clement from Alexandria, all the way down in Egypt. And there was this guy named Theophilus of Antioch, which is modern-day Turkey, um, both in the late 100s. And they, same thing. We believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels of God that tell the life of Jesus. It's scripture. And Paul's letters are scripture. And so we see very early on that the early church recognized your New Testament Bible as being scripture. And that's really important to know. Okay? Everybody following with me? Um, So here's how it went. The books were written with God's inspiration. Then the books were recognized as scripture by the early church. And then the church reached a consensus around these books saying, yeah, let's just go ahead and nail this down and declare this is scripture. These are the books of God. N.T. Wright says, the authors were aware of a unique vocation to write Jesus-shaped, spirit-led, church-shaping books. And that's exactly what they continue to be. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit more time on these first two, then we're going to go really quick. But here's the second thing. If you're looking back at your sermon page there, it's verified, the Bible is verified from historical evidence, okay? And, and that helps us. All of these kind of help us in putting this together. So um, uh, when anybody reads a book today, you know, we, lots of times we just start reading it, and then you get to the very back of the book, and that's where it cites all of the sources, Right? Um, did anybody go watch Hamilton? Anybody? You know, the big Broadway show that's here? And that's based off of a book by Ron Chernow. I've read that biography by Chernow, who's this great scholar. And the book is like that big. It's huge. It's over a thousand pages. It took me like 10 years to read. Um, but Chernow writes these kind of biographies that are really in-depth, a lot of presidential biographies and, and historical figures. And when you get to the end of the book, there's like the, all of this, like, I went to this library and got this information and got this from so-and-so, and, and Hamilton's wife's letters wrote this, and I put this together, all, the, all of these sources. But when we start looking at even earlier than, you know, the American Revolution, like way back when, we start, like, how do we know that that's really true? How do we know that's really true about Jesus? How do we know that's true about uh, these different world leaders? Well, one of the things that scholars do is they look at the manuscripts, and they say, uh, okay, um, when somebody wrote something, so when Plato wrote something, then he would write it, and it might get passed on to some different people. And nobody has what he originally wrote, you know, because it just didn't last. And so the scholars would look for, where are the manuscripts? And if you find three manuscripts, and they all say the same thing, can you be pretty sure that it's it's really true? Yeah, because they all say the same thing. They probably all go back to the original source. Okay, I realize we're getting slightly academic, but this is important here. Um, and so uh, when archaeologists go around looking for these manuscripts, they're trying to find how many of them are there, and uh, do they say the same thing? Are they consistent? 
So, how many of you believe that Plato really lived? Any conspiracy theorist here? You think that one? Um, okay. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, you know how many manuscripts we have of Plato's writing? Seven. Okay. For Aristotle, I believe Aristotle lived. We've got 49. For Homer, the name of my uh, next child after that, after Polycarp, we have 643 manuscripts. It's quite a few. You know how many New Testament manuscripts we have? Put it up here. 5,800. So tell me what's more believable, Aristotle or your New Testament? And actually, in Aristotle, those manuscripts, you have the, we know when Aristotle lived, and the first manuscript shows up hundreds of years later. With the New Testament, we know when those authors lived, and the first manuscripts just show up less than 100 years later. And that tells us they're authentic, they're real. And so scholars have looked at all of these manuscripts, and they've realized that they are 99.5% the same pretty good when you look at 5,800 manuscripts. And sometimes in your Bible, you'll, you'll read, some manuscripts don't include this one little line. And I appreciate that honesty in our Bibles. And that line may have gotten copied down wrong. Somebody might have added it. Somebody might have left it out from something else. Here's what gives me great relief about that. None of those lines that your Bible may say, some manuscripts may not include that. None of those lines make a difference about who God really is. They don't change the story. They might add a little bit to something over here, to this little part or to this little part, but they don't change things. And so we can rest assured that historical evidence actually backs up the Bible and actually backs it up way more than any other historical figure that we're just like, well, yeah, I believe Alexander the Great lived. Then you better believe Jesus lived, okay? Because we just look at the evidence in that. Okay, so number three, look on your sermon page there. Um, the scripture is proven from within. What I mean by that, from, from just the very Bible, if you looked and you read and your Bible said one thing here and something completely opposite here, you would be like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I don't like that. That doesn't seem to be true. It's not to say that the Bible, sometimes we read it and we're like, oh, I need to work through that. How do those two texts work together? But the Bible was written by 40 authors over, over 1,500 years on three different continents in, in three languages, and it's one story. Who's the mastermind behind that? I mean, like, what kind of secret, like, little order could pull that one off and have, like, this grand plan? Hey, we're going to write this secret little thing. It's going to take 1,500 years. Are you guys in? No, <laughs> we're not. And yet the Bible is written that long, and yet when you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you read a story. It's amazing and beautiful and incredible. And we could spend this whole sermon just talking about fulfilled prophecy. But let me just give you one example. Around 700 B.C., the prophet Micah wrote these words. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, it's a little town, among the clans of Judah... Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Whoa. Who's it talking about? Jesus. 700 years later, what city is Jesus born in? Bethlehem. How do you, how do you like, make up that? You don't. 
you have God who's orchestrating this grand story that's beautiful. Uh, just yesterday, we were listening to Psalm 22, and it, it actually describes things that Jesus experienced on the cross. If you haven't read that psalm in a while, you should read that. It's incredible. It was written a 1,000 years before Jesus lived, and yet it describes in detail some of the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. And so the scripture is proven from within. Number four, fill in the blanks here. It has changed history and lives. No other book in the history of the world comes close to having the kind of influence that the Bible has. Nothing. I mean, you go back and you look at people who cited scriptures as changing their lives are the same people who said, we've got to get rid of slavery, both in America and in England. Uh, you have the same people who said, we need to start hospitals. I mean, how many of us were born in a hospital that started with the word saint? I mean, probably half of us, at least. Uh, and, and so you have all these hospitals throughout the world, and, it, and they began because somebody said, God wants us to care for people. How many orphanages and women's shelters and schools were started? You all know that I uh, am on the board of trustees with Black Box International, which helps boys rescued out of trafficking. And as I've talked to people uh, about this, some of whom have said, uh, can I give to an organization that's not faith-based? And here's the answer. There's none out there that work with trafficked boys that aren't faith-based. They're just not. And you go around any, you could parachute into, on any continent on the, on the planet, and if you go and you find the people who are in the most need in that village, if anybody is helping them, I'd bet you my house that it's a Christian. It, it just is. I, I'm, there's some people who aren't Christians that are caring. I'm not saying that there's not. But the percentages are, if you go anywhere in the world where people are truly caring for the neediest of the needy, you find Christian people. Why? Because the Bible has changed their life. Their Bible uh, and their love of Jesus has led them to leave all of the conveniences of their home to go take the gospel somewhere and to care for people somewhere. It's incredible. 1 Timothy 3 uh, it, write that passage down and read this later. It's a great passage as we think about the Bible. I'm going to start in verse 14. From infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, this will equip you for everything you need, Okay. You got issues, go here, all right? And the very next part of 2 Timothy, by the way, says, so now you need to preach. Now that this has equipped you, now you'll go preach it to other people, tell other people about it. Okay, number five. I give my oldest daughter credit for this one because we were talking about why do you believe the Bible, and she worded it better than I did. But it's this. It is timeless. It's timeless. And we are talking about how, you know, there's lots of things that are like little bits of wisdom now, but they weren't wise 10 years ago, and they won't be wise 10 years from now. You know, maybe now you could say, you know, it's wise to not take too many selfies, okay? Because you might fall off a cliff when you're taking the selfie, and you just might get caught up on yourself. But if you would have said to somebody 20 years ago, don't take too many selfies, they'd been like, what? And 20 years from now, let's all pray. People also won't know what you're talking about, okay? We'll be out of this. This is just like a little window in history we're in right now, okay? Okay. Um, 
But when we read the Bible, we read these commands that are good for all time. I mean, you think about all the way in the Old Testament, and then Jesus quoted the same verse, was, love your neighbor as yourself. Man, is that command good for all time, for every country in the world, for every city, for every family, for every workplace, for every school? Will life flourish if people love each other as they do themselves? Yeah. What about honor your father and mother? Is that a good command for all time, for everyone? Yeah. Uh, what about... Um, uh, this I, biblical idea that if you want to be great, you'll become the least. In other words, serve other people. If you want to find fulfillment in life, if you want to be happy in life, don't chase the happiness, but just serve. Is that true everywhere? Yeah. For all time. It doesn't matter if it's the year 1 AD or the year uh, 2020. It doesn't matter when it is. It's going to be true. Number six. Jesus died and rose. And I know you might be thinking, well, well, yeah, but don't we read about Jesus in the Bible? We do. But when my friend was eating, eating burritos with me and he said, I, I, can't, I can't trust the Bible, I didn't talk to him about the number of manuscripts of the New Testament versus Plato. I didn't talk to him about how the Bible was written in the New Testament. All of those things, some of those things we talked about later. But here's my recommendation to you most of the time when somebody says, I can't trust the Bible. I think what we need to say is, can you trust Jesus? And I'm not just saying trust what he says. I'm saying, can you historically trust that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he lived this life in which he said he was the son of God and he did these miracles and he brought someone back from death and he made the lame to walk and he taught people to love and that to be part of his kingdom wasn't you know, with like swords and guns and cannons, but was with love and humility and serving and caring and truth. And it was completely different. And that this Jesus uh, said that he would die for the sins of the world and he was crucified on a cross and many people saw him dying on the cross and then they saw him dead and then they saw his tomb and then hundreds of people saw him alive again. That's the history of Jesus. And, and I, what I wanted my friend to, to talk about with my friend was, do you believe that or not? And if not, then who was this person? What, in the, what was he doing? Why was he telling these lies? Was he crazy? Did he want to get crucified? And if he was crazy, how did he like die and then become alive again? Like How did that work? So my encouragement is to you to don't get... All of this other stuff is helpful, and I want you to have it in your back pocket because you're going to have some good discussions with people, and I want you to work it through in your own mind. But I also want you to bring people back to, did Jesus, is he really real? Did he really, was he really born? And did he really live and die? And was he raised again? And what history tells us, what eyewitnesses tell us, what your changed life and my changed life tells us is yes, it's true. And if it's true, then that changes everything. And by the way, if Jesus can change your life, and if Jesus can be dead and then be raised from the dead, all of those other miracles, pff, piece of cake. Because I've had people say, like, well, I don't really believe in all of the miracles of the Bible. That's just too crazy. Okay, so you believe we got here from nothing? Isn't that kind of miraculous? 
like once we just start talking about, okay, what's, what can be true if God created the earth and if Jesus died and rose again, then turning a few pieces of bread into enough to feed a whole bunch of people, no big deal. Healing someone's legs, you're the person who created legs, no big deal, right? And I believe that Jesus is true and that just leads us to this last really big question. What will we do about it? What will we do about it? Because it's one thing to say, I believe in the Bible and I believe that it is true and I stand firm on it and, and, uh, and I believe everyone should read the Bible. That's one thing. But the next question is like, what are you going to do about it in your heart, in the deepest part of your soul? Does it really make a difference? And when the Bible makes a difference, it's when I say, God, I'm going to read this and I'm open to you teaching me and changing me today. Because God wants to interact with you through scripture. He wants you to read this and to know that he's with you and he's present and he cares for you in your time of trouble. And he's guiding you towards his truth. And if you're in sin, he wants to correct you and let you know, I want to forgive you and I forgive you, but you've got to walk in this way of truth and turn away from that. And I want you to learn and to grow and to care for people and to love people. And so to be biblical means not just that we say this is I believe it's true, but to be biblical, to a biblical person means that you live like Jesus wants you to live, that you care for people and you show mercy and you are kind and you're honest and you're truthful. That's what it means to be biblical. I want to read just, uh, just give you a couple of resources that might be helpful for you. Um, I, I listed them on your sermon page. There's a little book that Haley had shared with me called Why Trust the Bible, and it's a really simple little read of if, if uh, the idea of like the manuscripts and how it all came together is confusing to you, that's a really small little book that you could read in an afternoon and it would really help you with that. If you want to dive into like deep academic research, then the book Questions of the Canon by Kruger is a really fantastic read. Um, uh, the first one took me two hours to read. The second one took me about two months to work through this summer. Uh, but it's really good if you want to take a deep dive into the academic part of all that. Um, and then I want to encourage you to find a way to get the Bible into your heart. And if reading is your thing, then the Bible, and there's a lot of apps that you can get on your smartphone and on your tablet, and you can read the Bible that way. And I wanted to just encourage you, if, if reading is a struggle for you, you know, lots of cultures don't read, but they still know the Bible. Why? Because we have ears. And some of you will let the Bible enter your heart better through your ears. And there's an app called the Streetlights app, that especially if, it, it, for some people, it's perfect. For me, it's kind of perfect. But for, I know it was actually made for young people who struggled with reading. That wasn't necessarily me. Maybe it was more than I realized. But uh, it, is, it is, I like that it's read in a way that has passion to it. I don't like hearing the Bible in like a really flat, monotone way. Um, and so if you have kids who struggle with reading or a grandson, or maybe you do, or you just want something fresh, it's all free and you can listen. I, I listened to the book of Romans like three times this last week and I just was eating it up listening. And so, uh, and there's, there's a lot of other resources out there where maybe hearing uh, the word of God, right, Ron? That's great. Uh, where sometimes hearing God's word changes a life. Ask Ron about that sometime because he's got a story of how that happened in his life. Um, I want to read Psalm 1, 1 through 3, just as we close today. 
And I want you to think about how incredible scripture is and how beautiful it is in our lives, okay? Because it is amazing, and I don't want us to just defend it and be academic about it. I want us to love it. I want us to feel like we're gonna die if we don't hear from God's word today, that we have to have it in our lives just to sustain us. That's what we're after. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But listen to this. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it. That means like you're thinking about it all the time. Who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We want you to have God's word in your heart. Uh, if, if you are older today, we want you to be in love with God's word. If you are younger today, grade school kids, you read God's word and let it change your life. Teenagers, don't go to school without reading God's word. Let it establish you for the day and give you life and breathe life into you. Uh, this morning, we want to offer a time of prayer. If you've never come to know God, uh, if you maybe need prayer, maybe you feel shaken today or down today, uh, Scripture tells us to seek out prayer. And we have people who would love to pray with you. And if that's you, you can just come over here on this side up towards the front. We'll have some folks who would be glad to pray with you and talk with you and share with you. And they'll stay here once the service is done if you want to visit and come up for prayer at that point too. If you would, would you stand and let me pray for you? Lord, we thank you for your word, which is so awesome and so amazing. And for all of these thousands of years, you've been telling this one story that you created us and that you love us. You died for us. And even though we sinned and turned away, you open your arms to draw us back towards you. Lord, you are our life. And I pray that everyone would feel that way today and would be committed in following you. In Jesus' name, amen.